Looking back at the best of Saturday racing from around the country and examining the major talking points of the day. This is Pass the Post, brought to you by Archer Park Racing, taking racing ownership to the next level. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for your company on Pass the Post, Sunday, March the 6th, the first Pass the Post in March. And yesterday was Guineas Day in Australia. Of course, the Group 1 Randwick Guineas at Royal Randwick and the Group 1 Australian Guineas at Flemington. They were our two big gun races. They spearheaded the, the two city cards at Randwick and Flemington. But we saw the return of Zaki. We saw the defeat of Nature Strip. We saw another uh, path being plotted by two-year-olds towards the Golden Slipper, now only two weeks away. So big days of racing in both venues. And, of course, big racing too in Toowoomba. The meeting transferred from Doomben and also Magic Millions Day at Murray Bridge. It was one big day. Ben Dorries is joining me in the studio. Ben, before we start, though, it would be remiss if I didn't mention the passing of Shane Warne. You as a, a cricket writer for a long time, a, a very high-ranking cricket writer, you would have had a lot to do with Shane Warne. Yeah, it was one of those moments, wasn't it, Dave? It was almost like a Princess Di sort of moment. You know, you, you just could not believe it. I mean... Um, yeah, when I, I think I wake up at 4.30 in the morning yesterday, it just, um, you know, for some reason, and checked my phone, I saw Shane Warner died, and I had to read it 20 mm. times before I sort of believed it. But, yeah, look, I um, had a little bit to do with Shane towards the end of his career. I actually wrote his column um, for News Limited for, for quite a while. And, look, you know, everything has been said about him on a cricket field. My only take is I, I think the great thing about Warney was... He was what he was. He never tried to b- pretend to be anything else on or off the field. You, you could love him. You could not like him. He didn't care. He didn't never tried to, you know, pretend to be anything else. Uh, you know, he liked a liked a cigarette, liked a good time, mm. uh, liked women, obviously. <laughs> but uh, but you know what? For for all of that, he was never in sort of you know there was never a barroom incident involving Shane Warne. Uh, you know there was there was a drug ban, obviously. Um, but when he crossed uh, the boundary rope, no matter what was going on in his personal life, he was just the most focused person in the world. It was almost like there was two Shane Warns, one off the field and one on the field. So uh, he loved life. Uh, he packed a lot into his 52 years, more than most people would, would pack into 80 years, I'd suggest. So, uh, yeah, the world somehow feels a, a slightly dimmer place, I'd, I'd suggest. And also that coming... Um, David off the back of Rod Marsh's death um, the day before. So terribly sad times for, for Australian cricket, Australian sport and, and world sport, really. I think someone like Shane Warne, and this, you, you touched on this, someone like Shane Warne brings out the best in Australians because, as you said, he never pretended to be anything that, that, that he wasn't. And, you know, if he did cross the line... Aussies gave him another chance. You know why? Because Aussies give themselves another chance. <laughs> well, we're all in the same boat. Yeah. And so we, we see in him what we see in ourselves and I think that's and, and he became iconic and there's very few if you think of sport even you know horse racing I guess uh, I mean obviously we had Winx and Black Caviar they were two horses that you just couldn't take your eyes off I mean there's certain rugby league players AFL players you, you know when they play Dusty Martin in the AFL um, you know and, and you could name a few rugby league players as well but when Shane Warne came on to bowl you just had to watch. You just knew something was going to happen. Mm. Um, and there's very, very few people in uh, in world sport, even in horse racing, um, that have that impact. So, um, yeah, Valet, Shane Warne. Let's go to the racing action and we'll go to Flemington first. And first up is the Group 1 Australian Guineas. This was a big field, a strong race, and naturally was wide betting. Profondo, who was resuming, the Sydney visitor, was the favourite at $4.60. Rhinoceros led lightsaber. Maurice's Madad Profondo in plenty of air. Four and five deep coming to the middle of the track. Didn't handle the corner. They were followed by Ranch Hand. Back to the inside. Hitotsu runs on and forgot you's coming through too. Lightsaber in front. Led by a length. Bonza Perler is flashing down the outside with Hitotsu. It's lightsaber just in front. The Philly Bonza Perler's coming and Hitotsu. Lightsaber 100 to go. Hitotsu grinding it down. Lightsaber joined by Hitotsu. They're running off the track. Hitotsu just in front. Hitotsu a special win. One by a neck. Lightsaber second. Bonza Perla third from Forgot You. Followed by Captivant. And then Pinstripe. Maurice's Madad Allegron Ranch Hand Pashero. Sharp response. Preda Turner Gap Rhinoceros. Profondo. And at the end of the field was Zarell. John Allen steering Hitotsu to victory for this powerhouse training combination of Kieran Maher and David Eustace. A horse Hitotsu who won a Donald Maiden only four runs ago in the spring. And in his next three starts, two of those have been Group 1 victories. That's a bit of a leap. 
Aussie Care, one of his owners, joins us first up as our special guest this morning. Aussie, congratulations. Thanks, David. Thanks again. Good to be on. Uh, were you there yesterday or were you at home? Uh, unfortunately, no, I was at home. Um, I was on the couch with the family um, watching the races, yeah. So I had the same enjoyment, but um, unfortunately, I just wasn't on the track. Aussie, I know you've got a million, uh, maybe not a million, but lots of good horses. But gee whiz, this uh, this guy's taking you on the ride of your life, isn't he? Everything about him is unconventional. You know, the, the training of him, uh, everything is just a bit different. It just must be so exciting to to, to, to to you know be a big part of it. Yeah, look, it's very exciting for um, all those involved. Um, there's a, you know, a lot of mates are involved um, in obviously all our horses, and um, that's how we race, and it's been a great journey and they're, they're involved in Hitotsu and a few others but I think for the stable to be able to train Hitotsu the way they're training they obviously have a lot of faith um, and he's got a lot of ability because you couldn't do that with many horses um, even though you know he's, he's sort of won his, his, his derby coming out from I think it was a mile up to a derby trip 2500 and then back to a, a mile it takes a real special horse and to be able to do that and the data that they've got at home really shows that and that gives them the confidence to, to do what they're doing with him. Um, but yeah, the journey's been amazing. He has an, He's a very lightly raced three-year-old and um, to have won what he's won, it's, it's, you know, it's very humbling. Ozzy, just expanding on that point you made, it's a point very well made. There was that gap between the, the, the Guineas and the Derby. But this plan to run this horse first up in a Group 1 and not a, not a slouches Group 1, the Australian Guineas, it, it's it's almost audacious, but it just shows the confidence that Mar and Eustace have in their their horses, their own ability, the ability of the staff around them, and and it's all right if you do these things and and they don't come off. You say, oh well, we tried, but they're doing these things and they're winning with them. So it just speaks volumes for their their training their training ability. Yeah, and you speak to Karen and um, Dave; they do have that confidence, but like like. Karen always says to me, you've got to have the cattle. And mm. um, he does have that horse flesh and they know the horses that can do it and the horses that can't. So, you know, you couldn't do those sort of training feats without having these horses showing they can do that. And, you know, they, they, they have the data and the ratings and, you know, we look at that and they have that confidence that the horses are getting fit um, or they're ready to go. And, um, you know, especially with Hitotsu, they're able to compare it to his last campaign. Um, and we were pretty confident going in that, you know, he was going to run very well. Um, look, surprisingly, and, you know, it's probably not a good thing to say, but I don't actually think he handled that soft conditions. Um, when I spoke to John, John thought, keep him, away, keep him off the soft ground because he didn't really get through it, um, which is astonishing because um, I thought his run was super. But, yeah, John Allen thought, just we've got to stick to firm ground because um, he didn't love it. It's interesting you say that, Aussie, because obviously there'd be some Group One assignments in Sydney you could head down to. But there's, uh, you know, there's every likelihood you strike wet tracks down there. So does that bring the All Star Mile even, uh, you know, firmly more firmly into focus? I guess. Yeah, look, we we all went out last night. There's a big group of us, um, as we always do. We celebrate the wins because um, you've got to, that, you know, uh, they they could stop very soon. So we're really making sure we do celebrate every win we can. And um, there was a big group of us out last night, and those discussions had come up, you know, after a couple of drinks. And um, it's a tricky one for us because we're not a hundred percent sure which direction that we will take with him. Um, because we don't really want to go to the heavy ground with him or even soft ground. Um, which at the moment looks like that will be the likelihood in Sydney. Um, and then outside of that, we're sort of looking, well, where do you go otherwise um, and what do you do? So at the moment, it's sort of, it is in the air, um, but we're not, we're not sure exactly where. We definitely won't be running um, in Sydney on heavy grounds. So that, that's, that's one thing for sure. Mm. I suppose the derby's about what, a month away, so there's an opportunity for the weather to clear, but uh, it just doesn't seem to be going away. Another point I wanted to make out of yesterday, post-race, and we've been talking about Mar and Eustace. I'm so impressed with them as a combination, but, but yesterday I saw a side to David Eustace. Um, uh, Kieran, I think, was in Sydney, and David was representing the, the team, and his parents were there yesterday, and he was speaking after Hitotsu's win. He became quite emotional. It was a side that I was very impressed by. He's a, not only a good young horseman, but he seems a very good young man as well. Oh, Dave's just a gentleman. Anyone that 
has anything to do with Dave. Um, they know he's an absolute ripping bloke. He's a he's a gentleman. He's a very good horseman, as we all know. But outside of that, he's a he's mm. a very nice guy. Um, he's his parents actually came out last night with us as well, and they they had dinner. And um, mate, Dave was literally look the party was going on, and he was having a good time. But uh, Dave was just happy to just spend the whole time sitting down and um, with his mum and dad. And um, you know, he hadn't seen his parents for two and a half years yeah. or so, so it would have been an emotional time. And for them to travel here and um, experience that um, for their son, I'm sure they were very proud of you know of their son and um, good on them. And, I think that's what it's all about. Well, that's what it's all about for me is, um, you know, that connection with your family and, and those moments are, you know, the, the moments to cherish. And I think Dave's won a lot of races, but I think yesterday was special for Dave because his parents were here and he got to experience that with his mum and dad. So oh, good on him. Very happy for him. While we've got you, Aussie, just a, a quick update, I guess, or thoughts on another couple of horses. Yonce, wowee, uh, five from five, and that was some sort of win in, uh, I know it was, um, uh, you know, Fair, fair away from a Group 1. It was a benchmark 84 yesterday, but um, put them to the sword again, and uh, she looks very, very special. Oh, I, I, I've loved this um, mare. I've always, I always have. Um, I've probably got too carried away with her even before she had her first start. I think I was, I was declaring her as a star, a star before she had her first run, <laughs> and um, Dave put me in my box pretty quickly and said, well, you know, she won't you know, she, you need to get her out. We need to get her out to a mile and on soft ground before she has a win. But um, I think she's surprised the stable um, as much as myself um, on what she's done. I don't think any of us thought um, she would do what she's done. And she's just going through her grades quite well. Um, John Allen loves her. <laughs> he, he just said, look, she's just got another gear, um, you know, and she sort of did put those horses away, which were quality horses. I mean, look, I went into that race thinking, this is very, very good field. I, you know, I hope she could come close to winning, but um, she put him away pretty easily, and um, she was pretty soft in the line at the end. And um, her ears pricked, and well, who knows where she can go? Like, and she's another one. Like we're not sure. Um, I mean, the stable will obviously give us a plan, but um, I myself, I'm not sure what you do. Do you keep? She, it's you know, she'll be going into her sixth run, it's her first prep, um, and do you continue going and head towards a stakes race? You know, or maybe a group one in Sydney because she'll love the Sydney ground. Um, or do you pull up stumps and make sure she's right and head towards a spring campaign? And, you know, who knows? Maybe um, we can qualify towards a Caulfield Cup. I know we're all dreaming but um, from this point on, but that's what racing is about, right? You've got to... This is the time you get to enjoy it because a lot of the times reality hits and you don't get that enjoyment. So, so there's a few things that's in the air and... Um, Working through it should be fun for everybody. But, yeah, she's a very progressive and exciting mare. And uh, I don't know, we haven't got to the bottom of her, so we don't know where she'll end up. But um, I know the stable is extremely happy with um, with her and um, they're very, very excited about her. And you, you mentioned the Caulfield Cup there. You've obviously got a, a Caulfield uh, Cup winner that you, you part own, incentivise, real headline horse. Can you give us the latest there? Because, obviously, um, you know, it was reported last week, Steve Tregay, uh, who bred initially, initially trained um, the horses, has effectively pulled out of the ownership or sold his share on. So could you just uh, enlighten viewers as to what happened there and also <clears throat> um, where we're up to with the you know, the scans? This is an important set of scans we're waiting on to, to basically determine incentivise his racing future. Yeah, yeah so Steve, um, Steve decided... Um, and that reasons to, you know, for Steve to mention, really not my place to talk about. Steve decided to sell down uh, his ownership in, in Incentivise and he sold it to a friend of his um, but that already had a, a minor share in Incentivise um, and I believe that, that that transaction took place last week or the week before and um, the management of the horse has sort of been handed to me. Uh, I was voted to take care of the management ownership of, of Incentivise and um, my, my duty at the moment is to... Uh, get all the scans and the vetting that's just been completed last week, I think Thursday or Friday. Um, we'll get those reports and we'll sit in front of the ownership group together and decide the state of play um, or what happens from there. But we're all pretty optimistic. Um, look, he's got a, he had a few issues, but none of them were major, um, in my opinion. Um, but I'm not a vet, so I'll have to take the advice of the vets. Um, and then we'll decide... Um, you know whether he comes back to work. Look, I think, I think, in reality, I've got no doubt that he will come back to racing. The question is going to be, is it is it 
back in work in, in three months or is it back in work in six months or seven months, whatever that may be. We're going to give him every bit of time he needs. Um, we won't be rushing him in any way and um, we'll give him all the time he needs to come back to racing because um, he'd surely be missed if he wasn't able to race um, again. So we'll be very cautious on our approach of bringing him back to the track. Um, and we'll just have to wait until he's 100%. So there's no one in the ownership group that's that's wanting to rush him in any way until he's 100% right. Always appreciate your time and uh, continued good success with the Totsu. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Ozzy Kier, one of the owners of Hitotsu, and this is a horse, and, and, and I hate sort of using these terms, but there there is a bit of freakishness about this horse of what he's done in such a short space of time. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed that weather can clear in Sydney. I think that's an important thing to look long-term over the next month, what the weather looks like. I know it can be, predictions can be unpredictable, but, oh, gee, um, you know, he, he won the Victoria Derby as an early season three-year-old, uh, I would think he would have the measure of any three-year-old in the country in the Australian Derby. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That Derby form they often pot it, but I reckon this is um, this is a, a, a pretty special one. Um, I guess David of the beaten brigade. I mean, uh, you know, social media was up in arms very quickly about pinstriped uh, behind a wall of horses and then got beaten about four lengths. You know, everyone was saying, "I oh, should have won, should have won." Don't know if it should have won. Should have definitely got close and was very, very unlucky. Um, but hard to say, it definitely would have won. Lightsaber, um, Peter Moody was, I guess, ruining. Uh, only just got beaten, only just got run down by Hotatsu. Peter Moody was ruining a missed run there. And Bonza Perla, that I was on David at 101. Uh, loomed up as, loom too. Loomed as the winner. Loom. And I, I was actually counting my cash. I was loom. seriously counting my cash. I thought, this thing's just going to go Did you bang. back it each way? Sure. Course, yeah, I had a little, little something each way. But it's the, the difference between sort of fish and chips tonight and uh, lobster and caviar, put it that way. Just on... Pinstriped, um, officially fifth beaten four lengths. I could, if you really twisted my arm, could make a case that Pinstripe may have gone close to winning the race. Uh, this was a horror watch in the straight. I think initially uh, those who backed him were surprised that he was further back than he was, but so be it. It turns out that way. But uh, in the straight, when he went for that run between Captivon and Profondo, got chopped out and then, and then balked again. And then sometimes that happens, and then they don't run on, and you can say, "Oh, inconclusive." But then he ran on. So, yeah, look, I think it's, a, I think it's a, it is drawing a long bow to say he should have won, but I think that most would consider him to be most unlucky. The other horse I want to mention on the downside is Profondo. Um, he elected to, to come here rather than race on the heavy in Sydney. Now, the, the stats will show thirteenth beat eight and a half lengths. Um, he raced wide, no cover pace was genuine so he was you know working and he was first up but he's entitled to finish not that far back from Uh, what we saw of him in the spring that's what i'm saying yeah i i would agree with you david um yeah well it was a tough run but not that tough and uh you know if totsu and profondo clash again you know which one you'd you'd prefer Uh, to be on for sure he beat two to the line so uh possibly back to a, a drawing board of sorts Richard led in the connections of Profondo. That was the Australian Guineas. The Blamey Stakes was the race before Group 2. And as we said at the top of the show, the return of Zaki, $2.30 in favourite. 400 metres to go, and it's Mr. Brightside about to let go by three quarters of a length corner pocket. Zaki needs an out, then inspirational girl and Luna Fox. Mr. Brightside, 250 metres to go. The sprint on, there's a run now for Zaki, about to use it. Zaki explodes through, inspirational girl late. Zaki, 100 metres to go, three quarters. Inspirational girl's coming at him. It's going to be close. She got up. Inspirational girl nailed Zaki. Photo third, corner pocket, Mr. Brightside, and then Banker's Choice, a gap to King Magnus, King of Leah Grants, Pondus Purple Sector, and Luna Fox at the end of the field. She gets the wild card into the All-Star Mile in two weeks' time. As a result, her price was slashed, 26 down to 6, so she's right up at the top of the tree as far as the market is concerned. Ben, this was a case of um, all honours with her because she came from behind Zaki and ran him down, but the tempo of the race, it was a walkathon and a dash the last 600 more, so the last 400. I think Zaki's a better horse when he can do his own thing, control and, and roll at stronger sectionals. Uh, Jamie Carr jumped well from barrier one, uh, elected not to hold the lead, uh, gave the lead up, and all of a sudden they just slammed on the brakes. So he's sitting pretty, but 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 
That's not his style of racing. No, and look, David, I don't think there's too many times in racing where you can say, you look at a race and say, the horse that's run first and the horse that's run second will be big improvers next start. I think these two, both of them, will be better next start. I mean, inspirational girl, I think, she's only had three runs in 18 months or, or something along those lines. So clearly she'll uh, improve. But uh, when they have the rematch in the All-Star Mile, I definitely would want to be on Zaki. You're right, just sort of cluttered up there. Did get through, uh, you know, in, in plenty of time. But you're right, it's just a horse that needs to roll along at his own momentum. And it was a funny old one. Initially, I guess, first up being trained for that Canterbury Stakes, over 1,300 mm. in Sydney. So just probably a, a late alteration there in terms of the race plan. Um, yeah, so, look, I, I would take absolutely nothing away from Zaki. I suppose if you backed Zaki yesterday and you've seen him dart through there, you're entitled to be maybe slightly deflated. Um but out of those two, I would definitely be on Zaki in the All-Star Mile. Having said that, uh, I think the, the, the runner-up's a good horse too and will improve further. The listeners know that every week you're learning about sectional times. You're teaching yourself. And, <laughs> and folks, I've just sort of had a sneak peek at his uh, his um, notes there. And I don't I, have I, any I notes. Not, well, yes, they're your notes. <laughs> tell the truth. And I noticed that you had written down that between the 1,200 oh, and the 600, they ran in a, just under 40 seconds. That is very, very slow. But... You, you've written that down. You've appreciated that, and you were going to pass on before I've jumped in and stolen your thunder. <laughs> yeah, You're doing you've, well. You've just completely made that up. So look out! I've just seen pigs flying past the studio yeah. window. That's terrific. But the it, it was a slowly run bloody one thirty nine one two. There was a run in this race that was an absolute ripper. The horse that ran fifth called Banker's Choice, uh, Mike Maroney, uh, a Kiwi, first run here in Australia. Now you're not entitled to run on when they're when they're zipping home. I mean, those on speed played the major role. You watch the replay. Go and have a look at the replay, folks. Of this horse, hits the line powerfully. I don't know where they're headed with him or what they're doing with him. He's only lightly raced. He's only had ten starts for five wins. But this was a ripper of a run. A red flashing light. Banker's choice. But on the day, inspirational girl. Too good. So as I mentioned, twenty six to six for the All Star Mile. Atotsu. We just uh, we were talking about him. He's 26 down to 11 for the All-Star Mile. We'll talk more about that race tomorrow in Press Room. As you said last week, it is shaping as a good race. Yeah, absolutely. And as I sort of predicted, I think a week or so ago, um, overnight Chris Waller has withdrawn his two mm. horses, Very Elegant and uh, what's the other one? Espiona. Espiona. So, uh, Tefane and Ice Bath go in. Correct. Yeah, so it's a, it's a funny old one, isn't it? We're seeing horses sort of fall by the wayside and, and it's probably not shaping as a race at all. It could have been two or three weeks ago, but um, still be a good spectacle. Let's go to the English Sprint Race 5 and the shortest price favourite of the day and came up Trump's It's Overpass at $1.70. 350 metres to go. Lord Paramount under pressure with Pagazi. Overpass is still right up there on the outside, but here comes some runs. Sneaky five and Able Willie over on the far side, followed by He's Exceptional with about 150 metres to go. It's Overpass in front of Able Willie, and they were followed by Spellcatcher. Overpass with 50 to go. Spellcatcher's coming at the favourite, but too classy. Overpass took the big prize. Three quarters of a length. Second Spellcatcher. Third might be the art of flying Able Willie there as well. Followed by Sneaky Five Baranoff, he's exceptional. Zeta Rita, Daily Bugle, Shadow Devil, Pagazi. Back behind them, well inside, and Lord Paramount got the stitch. Ian Baker had a good day at Flemington. A double Malkovich scraped home later in the day, but this one overpass. My oh, gee, he's shaping well. Like he ended his spring campaign with a good run in the Coolmore. This time, any one first up, he beat Forbidden Love. We'll talk about her shortly. Then he beat All Bar Lost and Running, and uh, then sent to Melbourne up the straight, carrying 59 and a half and two good. Will he back up in the new market or not? Yeah, well, I can't see why he wouldn't with only 50 and a half kilos. Um, certainly, the Josh Parr, the jockey, was indicating um, he should go that way. Obviously, Josh wouldn't be able to ride at that weight. It was funny. I read, uh, read a report on this race saying that this horse handled the Flemington straight with the plomb. I almost fell over. He's around like a drunken sailor. I swear he was looking for a corner or a bend or something. Like He, he was just all over the place, wasn't he? And and uh, ended up, I suppose, it was a relatively commanding win. But in the last 200 metres, if you're a you know, if you're a punter and you're on him at the shorts, this horse is coming from everywhere and he just was drifting out and drifting in and you didn't know what was going on, but got the job done. Yeah, he certainly did. Let's go to the Francis Tresaday for the Phillies and Mares. Group three, it was the fourth of the day. Anna Vista is a gun fresh and she actually ran the favourite here first up at $4.80.
into the straight electric girl and Avisto together at the 452 lengths Exolita Vespertine then bring the ransom Jal Lay picks off a couple from Maracanã and then quantum mechanic Cyrileo misses battling out wide but Ana Visto still going well 250 meters to go two lengths in front of Vespertine who's the only danger Ana Visto is going to absolutely trot in here 100 meters to go three lengths in front four lengths Vespertine and Ana Visto car puts the whip away it bolted in Ana Visto easily second in the race was uh, over the line of Vespertine and they were followed behind them by Electric Girl, Quantum Mechanic, Maracanã. They were followed by Cyrileo. And Avisto, I'd be surprised if we see her up here in the winter, this mare. Um, she's a delightful mare. She's won six from 13. She's, if she doesn't win, she's really far away. She races on speed, makes her own luck, and she has above average ability. And as we said, very good fresh. And it was the second leg of Jamie Carr's double. Mick Price and Mick Ken Jr. You had, a, you had a chat with Mick Price during the week? Yeah, I did, actually. He was a bit, um, I don't know if controversial is the right word. He's just a straight shooter. But um, he, I rang him about a few things. One of them was, um, you know, because I know he calls a spade a spade, just about the track bias issues, not only in Victoria but in Australian racing. We've seen, obviously, a few bias tracks in Sydney uh, and at Caulfield and other places in recent times. And, and he really stuck his head on the line. He said, look, oh, I just think they should leave the rail in the true position for all race meetings. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, we should just lock, let jockeys find a path. If there's a worn spot on the, you know, the track, you know, the inside, they'll come to the outside. Just let them do their best. And he, his feeling is by moving the rail um, so frequently, it's actually artificially creating buys. Now, you know, track managers won't hear of that. I spoke to Liam O'Keefe, who's highly respected and... and um, I wouldn't say a personal friend of mine, but but I get on particularly well with him. And he said, "Look, I respect Mick Price's opinion, um, but that just wouldn't work." So, look, you know, it's it's it, it is an interesting talking point, though, because uh, it is a outside sport, uh, susceptible to the weather, wind, all sorts of things, uh, and tracks do obviously get worn. Um, but I must say, I reckon we've seen more bias tracks in Australia this season than we have in just about any other season that I can remember. It's a far cry from when I when I in the sixties and the seventies when the it was called the false rail. So all it was was moving. Uh, it was a different rail because the, the 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 rail was a permanent wooden rail, so to speak. So it was a false rail. It was only used when it was wet. It was wet weather, or prolonged wet weather. But more times, I'd say seven or eight times out of ten. They raced in the true position, so that was back in the uh, when we were ki- when, well, well, when you weren't born, we when were I was kids. a kid. Don't put me in your generation. Just one, uh, just a quickie while we're talking, Mick Price and uh, Michael Kent Jr. They love bringing a team up to uh, Brisbane for the Winter Carnival. They did last year, and a story I've done, which uh, will be on RaceNet later in the day. Believe it or not, Ayrton, their uh, you know terrific horse who they brought up here last year, who was a Stradbroke handicap favourite at one stage, was bitten by a spider. Mm. Uh, Mick Price has reinvented the way he's training it and is looking at the Group 1 Doom and Cup, believe it or not. So, um, you know, that's a 2,000-metre race as opposed to being trained as a sprinter like he was last campaign. So keep an eye out for that. Time goes fast. That's only two months away. <laughs> exactly. It is. Uh, middle of May. Let's take a break. Uh, past the post. Brought to you by Archer Park Racing. Go to that website, archerparkracing.com.au. They've got horses for sale. They'll be trained by the best and they're bred by the best. I'll talk more about that during the show, but let's take a break. This is Pass the Post, brought to you by Archer Park Racing, taking racing ownership to the next level. Yes, a horse called Seven Vales won at Rambic yesterday. He's by Shalar, and Archer Park has one, I repeat, one 5% share left in their Shalar two-year-old called Road Trip. One word. You can uh, look on the website and find out more about it. Give Chris Wessel a call. says here in brackets, tell Ben. Well, we've tried to tell Ben (laughs) more than once and... We've got nowhere, so Ben's out of contention. But someone out there, there's a, a 5% share left in Road Trip by Shalar, who, of course, was the sire of Seven Vales. We'll talk about that later, but a lot to get through at Royal Randwick. And let's go to their guineas, the Randwick guineas at Group 1 level. Anime was the favourite. It's military expert really being eyeballed by raging bull now as they come to the turn. Coast Watch moving up and converse to the outside. Halal tucked away on the inside and three further back to Anamo. Military expert leads the way from Converge who strides up on the outside. Then came Halal, two off to Anamo. Converge has made the move at the 200 and going strongly. Converge, two in front from Anamo and Halal. Converge a length clear from Anamo. Converge kept going. Anamo will make one last 
last lunge, but Converge goes on to win the round with Guineas by a half length to NMO. Halal in third, War Eternal fourth, followed by Raging Bull, Military Expert, then Coast Watch from Sinbar, Sea Treasures and Royal Zell. Well, Converge, third run in, uh, beautifully ridden by Tim Clark, a canny ride. He, he made sure he was in the right spot, and he was in the right spot because he was in front of his main danger, Animo. Then he hit the go button. He had a big look around, saw Animo coming, but he had plenty of horse underneath him, and Converge was able to prevail from Animo. And uh, more than likely goes to the Doncaster now with that very light weight. Yeah, absolutely. I thought this was just about the ride of the day anywhere. Yeah. Um, it was just terrific. It was just a technical race, wasn't it? And he, he he felt like he only had one danger, knew exactly where he was, got his horse into the right spot. And maybe just the key to this horse was just simply, I mean, this was the first time he's been back to a mile since winning the, 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 the JJ Atkins. So, look, getting up over 1,600 metres, clearly the key. Um, it was interesting... The real doubt, I suppose, going into this race for Converge was would he handle the heavy? Mm. Uh, and it was pretty heavy. Um, I think even the training team, the jockey, they didn't quite know. Uh, he certainly seemed to, you know, to handle it. And I just wonder, though, how much, you know, whether he actually does go in the heavy or he was just in the, the right part of the track, the right time, terrific ride, and he is way better on, on firm track. So yeah. we could see, you know, significant improvement again. Well, it's a good box to tick, isn't it? Because, I mean, the weather in Sydney can be so unpredictable, certainly around carnival time. So, if you know, you're on a wet track. Yes, there was a bit of improvement. They kicked off heavy 10. They went to heavy 9 later in the day, or probably midway through the day. So we know he can handle it. But, yes, he's got that turn of foot that uh, I think is best suited. You're right on a dry surface, and we saw that in the Atkins. And, again, it's worth making the point that another Group 1 winner in a, in a carnival that comes out of the, uh, the the winter carnival here last year. Yeah, I get a great deal of pleasure about these things, David. I'm a bit twisted, as you know, and I love getting on social media and, you know, when a horse like this warms and just it wins and just saying Queensland form or something along those lines. But, look, it, it is good to see that JJ Atkins form franked. I think we always knew Converge uh, had something special about him, had a bit of X factor, had a, a setback in spring last year. Getting up to the 1600, um, you know, was clearly the key. I think Animo... He's a funny old horse. Clearly, he, he he is a star horse. He's got all the talent in the world, but just sometimes, you know, where he gets to in a race, a uh, dollar ninety yesterday. Um, you know, you have to be very, very good to come from where he was going to be in that race and, and run them down. And he he was almost good enough, but not quite. Yeah, he we we saw him forward when he won the Hobartville, and that was probably out of character, but I think those who backed him, they were very happy to see where he was. Yesterday, he drew a similar alley. It was a slightly larger field, but he was a lot further back. You sort of knew in the run, well, it, it's not going to be easy. He can win, but it's not going to be easy. Under the circumstances, taking everything into account, I thought his run was outstanding because he never stopped trying, and he was gaining on Converge. Converge held him, but uh, he lost no ground. He made ground, and so I think both horses come out of the race with... Um, with uh, their CV certainly intact. And the other point worth making here, and I think it's a special point too, that that uh, Gay Waterhouse, who of course trains in partnership with Adrian Bott, celebrated the Group 1 win. It was 30 years to the day she trained her first winner in 1992. So to, to, to train a Group 1 winner on a 30-year anniversary must have been special for her. Oh, absolutely. It's funny, and this is sounds awful what I'm about to say, and, and no no disrespect at all to Gay, but I must admit, I, I thought, I was surprised 30 years. I thought, it feels like she's been around forever. Feels, I thought, you know, if I'd have read that story and it was 40 years, I wouldn't have been surprised. But clearly, um, you know, she was in a dad shadow for, for, for quite a while there. But there's only one Gay Waterhouse isn't there. Uh, every time I see her interviewed on television or on radio or anything, she's just, uh, she's bubbly, she's effervescent. Uh, she just brings so much to racing, and I love it a bit, David. I was going to say, that was an awful thing to say. But well, about the well, 30 years. years, are you surprised? No, not really. Yeah, not okay. Really. Um, yeah, you're right behind me there. Yeah, yeah, about yeah, 600 yeah. metres behind me. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, around, David. around the corner. <laughs> let's go to the, uh, let's go to the uh, other group, one, the Canterbury Stakes. Forbidden Love was on the, the seven-day backup. Revels of this sort of going. Solid favourite, $2.20.
It's Forbidden Love being cuddled at the 300 metres. Lighthouse is flat out sticking on in second and they're well clear from the rest. Private Eyes coming with a good run down the outside. It's Forbidden Love in front, holding Lighthouse inside the 150. Private Eye third. But Forbidden Love's going great guns on the quick backup and she wins another group one today. Forbidden Love by two lengths to Lighthouse. Two and a half off to Private Eye third. Followed by Colding, special reward. Then came Dallas Ann. Further back to Wild Planet, Laws of Indices and dice roll weakened out to finish last. They often talk about the time suiting the conditions and Forbidden Love falls right in that category. Of course, she she really does power through this sort of going and obviously she done well after a win a week earlier. Up into the group one, straight to the front, never headed. Richard Friedman joins us now and um, she's ticking over beautifully, Richard, isn't she? Having a wonderful preparation this, this campaign, but I think it's, you know, you rightly pointed out, it's uh, it's been aided and abetted by this extraordinary weather we're having and she does love soft going and she's she's getting it not only to race on but to train on as well and I think that's really lifted her this prep. What was the discussion Richard with um, with your brother and, and I guess the owners that, that led to you know her, her sort of run, running in this race because it was a last minute sort of not a throw at the stumps I mean she was a warm favourite and rightly slow but uh, it came under the radar quite late. Yeah it, it did but I think it was just a matter of once you had gathered the intel of what was likely to run in that race, um, then it became fairly obvious that it was a very winnable target for her. A lot of the horses in that race, very good horses, but perhaps just at the beginning of their campaigns, maybe a little vulnerable on that sort of ground. Um, this is a perfect distance for her, perhaps for some of them, not ideal. I think you add all those factors together, it just became a, an obvious target. And of course, she had to pull up well from the previous week, which she did. And, you know, all those factors had to fit together, you know, the pieces of the puzzle. And, uh, you know, luckily and, and thankfully it did. And, of course, another piece of, uh, well, history associated with this race that they can't take away from Hugh Bowman, his 100th Group 1. It's not a small achievement, is it? 100 no. Group 1s for a jockey. It's it's fantastic. And, you know, <laughs> Huey lost, had it, lost it, and got mm. it back within a week. That's only sort of... Uh, attest to the, the standard jockey the Hueys, but he seems to have a nice uh, affinity with this mare too. He he understands how she how she races and 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 how to get her to relax. And you know when he put in those a couple of uh, sectionals between the thousand and the six hundred, I think she she went just over twelve and just under twelve for the two of them. When you put in a you know a twenty four second uh, four hundred meters, you. In, in a in a thirteen hundred meter race, and it, and you're still doing it at nearly the six hundred meter mark, it then rules the second half of the field out of the race. They just cannot, you know, at that rate, at that level of competition, they just cannot run the sectionals to beat the leading group. So then it sort of came down to half, and once she straightened up and put a couple of lengths on on the field, uh, I think it came down to about two. <laughs> I was actually going to just follow up from that. I mean, you, your family's obviously won a, a lot of Group 1s over the journey. Can you remember a, a, a sort of an easier one in the in the run than this? I, I can't imagine you would have been sure. Uh, I, I think Mahogany's da Victoria Day was probably, <laughs> was probably easier. But no, look, sometimes it just works out that way. And uh, about halfway down the straight when Lighthouse was starting to make some ground on her, um, and she... I guess she was sort of out in front and floating along on her own a little bit. I uh, thought, oh, well, this could get interesting. But but once I think she detected him coming, she lifted again. And I think on the line she was actually getting away on him again. So it's a pretty strong effort. Richard, on a broader point, we've seen this unprecedented uh, wet weather. We've had it here in southeast Queensland as well, although it's basically past here now. But as far as racing in Sydney's concerned, heavy 10 the previous week, Heavy 10, heavy 9 yesterday. You've had rain again, I think, overnight and this morning. It, it, uh, it Probably playing havoc's probably maybe too strong a term, but but where horses go and how they're going, it makes it difficult, doesn't it? Oh, well, even not, not so, I guess not so much for the, the top-class horses. And, you know, guys who've got top-class horses have a pretty set plan, uh, which you can tinker with along the way, but there are only certain races they can run in. The more difficult horses are the maidens and the class one horses who have multiple options and they're not, you know, probably racing, well, they're not racing at tracks like Randwick and Rose Hill where, you know, we've, we've got superior ground most of the time. 
Uh, and those race meetings get called off. Trials are being put from turf to poly, which doesn't suit some horses. The, the, the machinations of trying to keep up with how to place those horses mm. is just a full-time job. And the number of nominations you've got to have in the system for any particular horse to keep their options open to accommodate these sort of things, it, it, it's, it, it's not only daunting for the trainers, it's costly for the owners as well, but it's just what you have to do to, to keep moving forward. I'm finding it difficult to grapple the golden slipper picture because every week we get a week closer. And these races we see each Saturday, these key two-year-old races, you know, good races in their own right, but the last four of them have been run on these very heavy tracks and it just makes it so hard to work the the slipper picture out. Well, we had a little bit of that last year too. Um, We got, you know, some tracks. They were only run on soft tracks, you know, before that. And then we got the deluge on Mm. on, uh, slipper day. And it was all put up by another week, got back to a soft track again. So we had a soft track season last season. This season, it's gone one step further. It's been a heavy track season. And you're right. You know, you you wonder, two-year-olds don't always perform well the first time they get on a heavy track, but sometimes they'll perform much better the second time they do. So it's making the job of of sorting out who are the real chances in the Golden Slipper, you know, almost impossible. And uh, if you ask me today who would win it, I'd give you a handful of horses, but it'd just be the same handful of horses that have been winning the lead-up races on heavy tracks, assuming that we're going to get another heavy track. Yeah, exactly right. Always appreciate your time, mate. Congratulations yesterday. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Bye. Richard Friedman joining us this morning with the Forbidden Love uh, taking the Canterbury Stakes. Let's push on because I want to have a, a good talk about this race now. The four-horse challenge, a nature strip and Eduardo, an expected clash. Didn't quite work out that way. Last year's winner, Eduardo, leads approaching the corner. And he's in front of Nature's Trip in this year's edition. Nash has got a good grip on Eduardo as they turn for home by two lengths on Nature's Trip. And already the two great sprinters have broken clear of the rest. Eduardo going great guns at the 300 metres. Now McDonald starts to push the button on Nature's Trip. Three quarters of a length away. Eduardo's got plenty of gas in the tank. And Eddie's still running at the 100. Nature's Trip's got the job to get there. Shelby, 66, is running into second. Charging home, Eduardo in front clings on. Eduardo just, but Shelby 66 nearly knocked the grandstand over. What a run in second, getting past Nature Strip, and Splintex was fourth in. Eduardo beating Nature Strip uh, a la 2021 in the challenge, and I think there was a combination here of two things. They used Eduardo's best asset, his speed, so not only did that help him, but in the process, it certainly put a dent in the armoury of Nature Strip because Nature Strip couldn't get up there and just sit alongside it. He was chasing all of the way. In the end, though, he still didn't run second bit. I think the story of this race wasn't the winner and it wasn't Nature Strip. This Shelby 66. I love stories like Almost a dandy Andy type upset. It was just extraordinary running for the third week in a row. Everyone just assumed this horse would be making up the numbers. But um, <laughs> wow, I think I heard Glenn Muncy saying uh, on the coverage that basically uh, the tab, which is pretty rare, has stood to lose over a million dollars if, yeah. if Shelby 66 won. Obviously, it was a real knockout, so that doesn't represent necessarily any any huge bets. But um, yeah, wow. I'll tell you what, I, I thought Nashville Willer's post-race co- comments were really interesting when he was asked about Nature Strip, and he said, look, the way the race was run and how he how he held his ground on Eduardo, he just felt on the day that he pushed Nature Strip out into the bit of the track that was just a, just a bit worse. He felt Eduardo was on the better ground. So look, um, yeah, it's an interesting one, Nature Strip, isn't he? He, um, uh, you know, if he had a run of valiant second, you would have said, yeah, fair enough. But Shelby sixty six running past Nature Strip, uh, I didn't see that coming in a million years. Uh, the track, he's had three, uh, including yesterday, he's had three goes on heavy. Two of those was on. He- two of those were on heavy eight. Yesterday was heavy nine. Maybe that didn't suit him as well. But I think most will will come up with the same thought as you that he should have he should have run second, not third. Uh, he's still favoured for the TJ Smith Eduardo. Well, there's still life in those leagues yet, and, and there should be life in those leagues. And Jay Pride has said this all of the time. He's only had 25 starts, 26 starts now for 11 wins and. And he goes to the TJ Smith into $4.50. I noticed in one report this morning, 
thinking about Brisbane again as well, which would be good for us. Yeah, there might be a might be a, a run, a Group One run at the end of the campaign there. But uh, I know this is a smart ass, easy thing to say in hindsight. But I was surprised that there was that much differential between the price of Nature Strip and Eduardo yesterday, given the track was so heavy. Um, Nature Strip a dollar seventy and Eduardo two thirty. Uh, I would have thought Eduardo was clearly the superior um, galloper on that sort of track personally, which I, I guess that has shown yesterday. You should have had a big bet on Eduardo. Well, I did. Well, okay. a big bet for me is probably different from a big bet from you. You rarely reveal the winners. See, I had to bring that out of you. You're back to winner. Most time you tell us you're backing losers. You're back to winner yesterday. Yeah, you're happy? Something. You yeah, feel yeah. all right? Yeah, no, I'm just, just battling away. It's actually my daughter's birthday next week, so, you know, maybe a few more Christmas presents. Oh, sorry, birthday presents for her, perhaps. Exactly. The Group 3 aspiration is the last replay we'll have a listen to at Royal Randwick. And Lalu travelling in the lead by two lengths on Stray. Then Phil of Fun from Polly Gray. And still three further back to Legay Saleh, six off the lead. It's Lalu, the one to gun down. Two lengths clear from Stray, who's flat out. Polly Gray's flat out. They're all flat out. Lalu's going brilliantly in the lead and is well clear inside the final 100 metres. Stray and Polly Gray fighting out second and third. But Lalu's going to lead all the way. Big win. Polly Gray second. Divine Diosa charged to the end for third. Then Philip Fun and Stray in a photo for four. Stray got very tight at the end. Legay Soleil was too keen in the run and didn't close off. Then room number followed by Artie Clark. Yes, uh, Lalude able to dictate up front uh, training trainer John Thompson, Brock Ryan, the winning rider. And just going back to those two-year-old races, I mentioned Seven Vales by Shalar winning the, the Riesling and Sajardin winning the Tobin. He's done nothing wrong, Sajardin. I mean, again, he ticked a, a heavy track box there yesterday, but... Have a look at his record going into the Golden Slipper, which is now only a fortnight away. He won the Breeders' Plate. He won the Golden Gift. was good of the Millennium and winning the Todman yesterday. And he finds the line well. He'll be strong at the end. So uh, he's got uh, nothing wrong with his CV. You'd have to say, uh, overall, he's, the most, he's got the most consistent form going into the Golden Slipper. And he was 15 into 7 for the Slipper after yesterday and 7 Vales who won the Phillies race 51 into 17. They were the highlights of racing at Royal Randwick yesterday. Let's turn our attention out to Toowoomba. This meeting was transferred from Dooman on Friday morning. I think ultimately a sensible decision. I know it didn't rain on Friday and yesterday, but a decision had to be made at a certain time, and I think the right decision was made. Let's go to race eight. We, we had yesterday the preludes of the dual races, the big finals coming up in two weeks' time at Aquas Park Gold Coast. Here's the three-year-old version, and the favourite in a wide betting race was a, was a wonky favourite, an easing favourite, Black Jack Boom at 440. They arrive at the home turn. 400 left to run. Prince of Boom just leading Rubiquitous. Then Gemalon Bolt, Frosty Mango. To the outside, Zuma California. Blackjack Boom. He's being pumped along. He's got work to do. Then Legal Esprit, Barista Sister. Right down the outside, but Prince of Blue below the 200. There was a decent kick there from Rubiquitous. Then Gemalon Bolt, Prince of Boom. He's going great guns, 50 to go. And there's no chance of catching him. A great return. Prince of Boom, Rubiquitous, Gemalon Bolt. And fourth, Legal Esprit. Mashani Sniper was next. Blackjack Boom didn't put in today. He looked disappointing. Frosty Mango was as well. Then General Wolf, Barista Sister, Zuma California dropped off. And self-indulgent arrived at the tail end of the field in 16.18. Jimmy Orman steering Prince of Boom to an all-the-way victory. His fifth race start, his first this campaign, his third racing campaign. And Rob Heathcote, his trainer, joins us on Pass the Pace. Rob, good morning. Yeah, good morning, David and Ben. This would be a race that would have given you a lot of satisfaction. I know a win's a win wherever it is, but for this horse to return to the track and do it emphatically must have given you a lot of heart. Yeah, certainly uh, very rewarding uh, personally as well as, of course, financially. But the, the fact that any horse that you know goes on the table and has a surgical procedure done, you know, you need to see them come back and and do it. Now, whilst we were confident that the procedure had worked very well here in track work and he trialled very nicely, it's when they're under that extreme race pressure that that's when it comes to the fore. And, uh, you know, I had my heart in my mouth when Jimmy was rolling, rolling along in front. I'm such a smart trainer. I told Jimmy to ride the horse and cover. <laughs> <laughs> there he is, two in front after 50 metres. But I, I did preface that by saying, Jimmy, that might not be possible. The horse is a little on the fresh side. 1,100 metres. I'm, I'm, I'm glad the track dried out like it did. He didn't have as tough a run as he might have had at Boomin on a heavy track, but no, it was very encouraging to see him run through the line like that. And 
do it under 59 kilos against and, and giving weight to all the horses. And extraordinary to think too, Rob, that only sort of really days earlier, um, you know, your stable copped pretty much the worst of the flooding at Eagle Farm and, and this horse, amongst others, um, was, you know, pretty much knee-high in floodwater. Oh, yeah, Ben, but, you know, horses are pretty resilient. They're designed to cope with uh, adverse conditions out in the wild and here they are in the stables. And, and it was quite an incredible flooding event, to be honest, because it all happened so damn quickly. You know, as quickly as the water came up, uh, as quickly as it as it went, and yes, that that did leave horses on sodden boxes overnight. But you know, to a man, the BRC staff team were brilliant. They got in and they got all the boxes dug out, and within 12 hours, they're all on fresh new stable bedding. So it was brilliant. Rob, we know his two-year-old campaign was impressive. At his second race start, he's winning a Group Two, and then he he went to the size and he had a, a wide trip. The two runs in the the latter part of the winter and the early part of the spring were both fourths of doom. And Luke Dippin rode him both times. Uh, was Luke telling you something about the horse at that time that you thought there's an alarm bell there? No. Um, <clears throat> just couldn't explain why he wasn't letting down mm. in those two races when he was showing all the signs that he'd come back bigger, better and stronger from that initial group two win. And, I, I just suspected there had to be something wrong. He was not making any clinical noises. He was not showing any signs that there was an issue. And, and we had him scoped. In fact, we'd had him scoped previously with no issues, a perfect, perfectly shaped um, pharynx, larynx and breathing apparatus. And, and then just before, I thought, there's got to be something there. I had him scoped again and the vet picked it up. He said he's got a what's called a lazy retinoid, which wasn't fully abducting under the pressure of a race. So then we decided to have the University of Gatton, uh, Ben O'Hearn, you know, just a brilliant surgeon, and he did the work, and, you know, it's obviously it's come back in great order. So, Rob, at one point um, last season, this guy was your gun two-year-old and Startantes was, was your little your little sleeper. That sort of, uh, you know, the roles were reversed with Startantes going on and, and doing what she did. Twice Group 1 placed, obviously, within a whisker of, uh, you know, winning the Group 1 in Sydney um, not so long ago. Do you, do you think they have similar kind of ability, these horses? I mean, are they, you know, do you put them on the on the same, you know, same line? I mean, can, can for instance, Prince of Boom you know, I guess get to that group one level that Startantes has got to? Oh, it's, <clears throat> it's a big call then, but back previously, yes, I did. I, I did have Prince of Boom in front of Startantes, but, you know, she's such a, a little marvel. I mean, she just defied the odds from the first moment she walked into my stables. I mean, she's so bloody tidy. And yet, you know, as you said, she was a whisker away from becoming a group one winner in her own right. But now whether Prince of Boom can go on and as an older horse and, and reach those lofty heights, and, and particularly now as we head into our Brisbane Winter Carnival, he'll certainly get the opportunity in some of the uh, the featured three-year-old races to, to step up and look, at it's really up to the horse. And clinically, if he can stay sound and healthy, um, two weeks' time, we've got the, the, the cutest jewel down the Gold Coast where he's going to be attractively placed Bearing in mind he's going to drop two kilos and everything he beat yesterday is probably going to go up to two or three kilos. So he's going to he's going to look attractive on paper anyway. But if he can win that, and then I'll probably give him a little wee break just before the carnival and, and let, let's see how he comes back through the winter. How do you how do you feel about going to the Gold Coast, Rob? Because it hasn't been a, a happy hunting ground for you over the years, has it? I, mean, I think Rothfire even got beaten at a dollar twenty there one day. It's not you, you. You haven't had a great deal of success at the Gold Coast for some strange reason. Yeah, no, that's true, Ben. But you know, we've won our share of nice races down there over the years. I mean, uh, what was the name of that horse that won the million dollar? Oh, that's right, Buffy. <laughs> I needed I needed a Buffy doing a race down there. Um, oh, look. Yeah, Rothfire, I still have, you know, bear in mind that it bloody rained all week down there. It was a wet time that, that particular March. And, and Rothfire, as we saw in the in his comeback race last year against, um, and, you know, the two brilliant wet trackers, Eduardo and, and Nature's Clip, he only got beat 2.8 lengths and it rained, you know, torrential rain half an hour before the race, unluckily for us. But uh, he didn't quite handle it, and that was such a... You could see in that run against... Uh, um, oh, God, what's the name of the horse? McDonald's horse. Kizikano. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
you know, he was slipping and sliding all over the place. He still did a, did a good job. And, and look, she's come out, Kisitano, and, and, you know, she's, I don't know, she's up around a million bucks herself. So she's no slouch. She's a quality, quality filly. Rob, good work yesterday. Good to see this horse back, and we'll talk soon. Good on you, David. Cheers, Ben. Rob Heathcote joining us. Prince of Boom, of course, by Spirit of Boom. And Spirit of Boom's side, she's got the boom in one of the, the cutest two-year-old jewel preludes. And there are Spirit of Boom youngsters for sale at archerparkracing.com.au with uh, Tony Gollan and Stuart Kendrick. Those, they, they are who they'll be trained by. Let's push on. Time is running out. Let's go to race nine, the open over the 1,300 metres. And the favourite here was Vinko. Race course road. Can he burn the candle at both ends? He flattened for the run of the judge in front. From on the outside, run for glory. Go, Gollum. Vinko still closing. He's coming strongly, Vinko. Race course road. He's all out. He's sped. And on the outside, Vinko swept up, hit the lead, went for home and is home. Vinko last to first. Beat race course road. Photo third. Go, Gollum. Run for glory. Not far away, stuttering in Sambro. Then came tie zone. Second last over the line was Bull Warrior and the Stayer Honourable Spirit last in a gallop of 119 and 94. Training double for Tony Gollan. He won the, the, the dual prelude with Capital Tower, who may well go to the Golden Slipper. Uh, Vinko, of course, and a, a riding double for Ben Thompson, who went on Tamalade in the first and went on Vinko. If you're on Vinko, it was a, an ordinary start, last out of the gates, but uh, just kept improving all the way through the race and a horse who does race very well at this track. Yeah, I thought your tickets were confetti, to be honest. I had a lot of work to do, so maybe that offer's a bit better than we thought. Yeah, exactly right. Let's go to the feature race of the day. This is the Tats Members' Cup for Sky Racing, listed level. And in the end, the favourite was Profit at $3.60. They're all flat out at the turn and still Honey Baby's in the lead. From Sea Raider, Hail Manhattan, Smart Meteor coming between them. Profit down the outside with a bit of work to do, though. Sea Raider and Hail Manhattan are in a duel from Profit to Barnabas Wider. Then Smart Meteor near the inside. Sea Raider giving plenty. Sea Raider is going to be too good. Sea Raider beat Hail Manhattan. Smart Meteor third. Sir Barnabas fourth. And no put in from Profit today. Fifth. Then came Red Chase. Honey Baby gave a sight. And then a gap to Ozark and Talela in 140.05. Got this one wrong. I thought Sea Raider wouldn't be advantaged or assisted by the drying out track. I thought he was more of a wet tracker, particularly over a mile, but he defied, uh, we, well, as I said, I got it wrong, and he's won 11 from 30. So John Gilmore's done a great job with him, and Steph Thornton rode him well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was probably the winning move, Steph Thornton really taking off there and putting this horse into the race. Uh, John Gilmore, I understand, hasn't been in the best of health lately. No. His son was on track yesterday, so it was a nice little pick-me-up. How, how Manhattan loom there. Uh, but uh, had its chance and uh, no taking away from the winner. One more replay, our final race to talk about, and I think it's worth talking about. Go Wanji made his racetrack return in the seventh race. Uh, he was initially easy in the market, then firmed late. Let's listen to the replay in the straight windside lead. See yourself gone, then Prairie Fire. Mischief managed Rich Lister. Go Wanji getting clear now, and right down the outside was Torrid. Windside 100 to go in front from Mischief Managed Rich Lister. Here's Go Wanji coming now. Go Wanji right along the inside. Go Wanji. Burst home beat windside Mischief Managed and Rich Lister. Not far away was 15 rounds, and then Prairie Fire Air Spirit, followed by Torrid, Triple Arrow, Smarty Bit. Yes, well, I think everyone watching the race, whether you'd be uh, watching on Sky or at the track, thought Go Wanji had won, myself included. And there's no excuse for me. The fact that I don't call it that often doesn't mean anything. I'm right on the winning post, right above the judge's box. And I thought Go Wanji had won, started talking about it, only to realise when the judge rang through to say it was a dead heat. I think it caught everyone by surprise. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll give you your... Uh credit here, your kudos, David Fowler. You actually wanted this replay played. You wanted to talk about this race. So, not that it was a massive stuff up from you. As, you know, as you said, I thought Gowanji had won. Everyone thought Gowanji had won. But credit to you for wanting to talk about it. Is there anything um, I suppose you can elaborate on in terms of the listeners? The difficulties, I guess, you know, with calling it uh, Toowoomba, any any challenges no, no, you faced? No, no excuse there, but 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 just to outline for for either listeners or more so viewers in this case, if you're watching the race yesterday, that I think if you watched it again, if we we just watched it today, you'd say oh, the inside's just one. The issue is the camera at Clifford Park is just slightly after the line, just slightly after the line, and technically I can tell you that if you are just after the line. 
it will advantage the inside horse. So what you're seeing on that television was not quite what it really seems, and that's why it probably gave Gowanji that ever so slight what we can uh, saw as a as a margin. Uh, but that's no excuse for me because I'm right on the line. I'm just about, oh, you know, four people down from, from the camera who's in the same box as me, and I was right on the line. I think what happens is sometimes uh, you, you're you thinking, here's Gowanji coming. Now, you know Gowanji's one of the favourites. You know he's a strong finisher. You're thinking Windside, a speedy horse, starting to roll out under pressure, is knocking up. Instead of saying what you see, you're saying what you think. And it can that line can be blurred, and I'm thinking, well, here's Gowanji, he's going to win. Now, I know it was a dead heat, but I was almost like willing Gowanji to win, and, and that's where I got it, well, half wrong. But it was a lot closer than, than I thought, but um, uh, it is so what you, it is. So do you, uh, afterwards, when you're driving home from Toowoomba, do you have a bit of a hollow feeling about, about that, or do you just sort of think, well, you know what, that's one of those things, and I'll well, learn from that? A, I wasn't driving, and B, I was, I was, I was having a forex gold. So uh, no, I was in a more pleasant situation than you've tried to portray. Uh, but uh, oh, look, I, I was. I mean, there was one worse result. And, and, <laughs> yes. And, well, well, what? Uh, just, just for the listeners, uh, just for, so can bring us into the room. So uh, I, I've talked about Go Wanji, and I'm watching. Bernie Cooper interview Tom Dougal, and I'm hearing Mike Maxworthy. You know, they probably take it off me. I go back to the studio, send it back to Merck. I then watch the slow-mo or the low shot. I thought, hell, this is a lot closer. <laughs> and then, and an error on my part again, I didn't look at the semaphore board. There were still no numbers. And then the worst scenario came into my mind, don't tell me Windside has won. <laughs> so that would have been the ultimate stuff up. So we, we, we got half the way there. But look... It is what it is, and I think most people thought Gowanji had won, but the bottom line after all of that is it was a good return by him. Oh, 100%. A credit to you for talking about it, David. Um, great stuff. I reckon the listeners would have found that fascinating, but you're right, Gowanji. Wow, wee, what a return. And they weren't winning like that at all. No. Yes, they were, they. So, um, yeah, Tom Dougal is very much trying to keep the lid on that horse. Uh, the expectation is low. Um, but one of the more progressive horses, I reckon, we've got in Queensland. And Tom took it in good uh, in good heart. He said, well, at least with the dead heat, the ratings won't go up as much. <laughs> so all's well that ends well. Exactly. And we now have to end this morning. So, Ben, thanks for your time. Thanks, David. Ben Dorries joining us. He'll be with me on Press Room tomorrow morning. I hope you join me for Press Room tomorrow. Special interview with one of my colleagues tomorrow morning as we head towards International Women's Day on Tuesday. More of that tomorrow. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your company. Have a good day. Bye-bye.